Cairo Radio was paid a fee to air the following program. All information discussed on the following program is for general information purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. Prior to acting on any legal matter, you should seek legal advice from a qualified legal attorney who can evaluate your situation and advise you accordingly. Welcome to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. Your Partner in Law is brought to you in part by the law firm Gregorick & Associates PLLC. Charting your course to a secure future. Your Partner in Law starts now. Here's your host, Rick Gregorick. Well, good morning and welcome to Your Partner in Law. I'm attorney Rick Gregorick from the law firm of Gregorick & Associates. And we are glad to have Mr. Scott Ralston uh, joining us again this morning. Hi, Scott. Good morning, Rick. And, of course, Scott's um, attorney at uh, Gregory and Associates as well, and uh, pretty regular here. And, yeah, I've been uh, here. I've been here a couple times. Yeah, just de- over a decade and a half or something like that, <laughs> so it's been around a while. You know, Scott, today I wanted to tackle a couple issues, but um, before kind of the regular part of the show. And, you know, we do talk to, you know, so many of our clients about um, security in online and protecting our identity. And I was reading an article here uh, yesterday uh, put out in Forbes, and it introduced me to some terms and some things I hadn't really known anything about. (laughs) And it had to do with these uh, security companies who are trying to combat cyber attacks. And apparently, they've uh, put out a bunch of uh, decoys, and they call them honeypots. And so there are a bunch of websites, so to speak, different types of interfaces, and that are meant to attract these scammers. And then they can capture that data and figure out what's going on. Well, they set these up, this one company, and they get 20,000 attacks every 15 minutes constantly and of course they're learning a lot but then the kind of the big troubling issue was some things called you know they call them iot's now what the heck's an iot and it's usually you know capital i little o big t and that stands for the internet of things the internet of things and you know this is like what the heck are we talking about here i mean talk about keeping the public in the dark these are what they're talking about as the new threat that people have is all of the items that are not your computer or your cell phone, your standard devices, your tablets. These are all these little smart devices people are throwing all over their house, doorbells, anything that hooks into the Internet. They said cheap phone systems, you know, these cheap plug-in the VoIP systems at your home, plug them into your Internet. And the issue with these is most of these don't have sign-in protocols. And they just have factory-set um, security codes. And you don't have any way to update them more usually. They're just there. You just plug and play. Any of these items, you just plug them into your computer and away they go. Um, that smart TVs, this whole nine yards, all of these things are the Internet of Things and are becoming portals for the bad guys to get into our other devices because many of these devices are hooked into lots of different things that we connect with. And many of these smart devices ask for access to your phone. Gee, can I have access to your contacts? Can I have access to this? Every, every time you uh, install an app on your phone, there's 
like you know three or four notices you got to put okay 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 and it's it's access and you know virtually every one of those is another door or window that's a you know subject for the bad guy to break in I, I, folks, I don't have an answer, but the only advice that I seem to be able to come up with is change your passwords often. <laughs> and, you know, you really need to start questioning yourself on some of these conveniences and the potential risk and cost. So that little cheapy plug-and-play thing, that little fancy thing that you put in your house that follows you all around or does whatever it is, uh, these could be little robotic things running around the house. Anything that connects and talks, anything that's Wi-Fi. And I really got to put a cold shower, but this is your cars, folks. Anybody who has smart, you know, infotainment systems in their cars, all of these things are vulnerable. And I think we all need to really, 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 really pay a lot more attention and uh, try to figure this stuff out because the bad guys are working on it pretty much nonstop. So I'll put that out as my public service announcement to. Uh, Boy, oh boy, just do that. Scott, I know when, you know, in the office, we have so many folks that, uh, you know, are concerned about this, but, you know, there's just not a lot you can actually do other than keep your passwords protected, check things, don't use indiscriminate things, don't just plug things in that you may not need. And, you know, because of the practice that we do, we do, you know, elder law, we do guardianships and estate planning. So we deal oftentimes with individuals that come in and they'll, they'll talk to us about their parents and say, you know, mom, dad, you know, having trouble, but also uh, cases where spouse is having trouble. I have had several cases where either a spouse or a parent, because of their diminished capacity, they have somehow responded. And here's what happens when they respond. They, they answer that phone. Okay, that phone number now becomes the target, and it is relentless what happens to individuals that have diminished capacity that have answered that phone, and they start transferring money. I I kid you not, these cases, you hear about them on occasion in the news, I've had several of them. Where what happens is is that individual they, they just start giving their money away. They they are persuaded by the caller from overseas to wire them money, to send them cashier's checks. These scams where they think they've won a sweepstake, where you know they kite checks. Um, you know this this happens, and so you know we're talking a lot about you know different types of schemes and different types of you know fraud uh, activities that are out there. Watch your parents. And, you know, if your spouse even is starting to have some level of diminished capacity, watch your spouse because they are vulnerable to these types of scams. You and I, as, you know, individuals that are with capacity and kind of know and can kind of see some of these scams, of course, we can't see all of them. But this is something you have to watch out for with with your elders. Well, the other issue, let's go to the other end of the age spectrum and look at our young adults. I mean, you know, kids are carrying cell phones now at 8, 9, 10 years old and, you know, all through the teens. And these young people are very heavy users of a lot of the new plug-and-play technology um, that is going on out there that half the parents and certainly the grandparents have no idea what a lot of this stuff is. And, you know, I've seen kids going over to other people's house and uh, they go over to, you know, so you say you have some kid over at your house visiting your kid and the visitor goes and grabs a little USB stick out of his backpack and comes over and plugs it into your computer. Folks, that ought to scare the bejeebers out of you. What is he putting in there? It's Does he even know? Yes. And so 
please, you know, be cautious. Uh, check that out. Um, this whole life of digital is, um, you know, we're all growing through it, and everybody is vulnerable. Everybody's been compromised pretty much through all of these attacks. But, you know, watch these new plug-and-play things. They seem great, but what they're extracting from you in information and, you know, not to be, you know, the Grim Reaper on everything, but I mean, the reason so many of these products and services are so cheap is that that provider is selling your information and using it not necessarily to your best advantage to sell it to advertisers and things like that. So um, just be cautious. Um, Big Brother is out there. It's, boy, oh, boy, I tell you, you know. Back in my day, we and I won't to, name I won't name who Big Brother is, but back we, my, we all know. Back in my day, long time ago, we used to say, you know, the man, the man's watching. Well, it's not just the man anymore. It's uh, boy, it's it's terrible. So, um, folks, I wanted to talk today about um, issues and concerns um, and things that go on with your real estate vis-a-vis your estate planning. Never, almost a day doesn't go by where we don't receive phone calls from folks asking various questions about real estate. And it's usually one of two scenarios. They're either calling to say, I did something and something and something, and somebody's telling me this, and obviously they're calling about a problem, but something they've already done. And then, of course, we get the ones who actually call up and say, gee, I was considering, is this a good idea? Unfortunately, the, guess one's the majority. The majority would be the former of the, the two. The majority is the ones that says, hey, this happened, or I did this, or mom did this, or whatever. And so oftentimes there's a terrible result. And then unwrapping those results can and, be very challenging. And just, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the real estate error. Uh, and when we get into this, keep in mind, this also applies to stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and other high dollar accounts it, it it really does so there's there's just a number of issues that can arise and so i always kind of start off when i'm you know doing these things and we want to talk about well let's just start at the basics of real estate and how we own real estate and how we know we own it well how we know we own it is our name should be on the deed right there is and, a deed with my name or my business or you know whatever and my that's my trust public record and it's public record so that's that's my proof so to speak that I have an ownership interest now a lender may have some ownership interest quasi but um, but you have to see it on a deed if your name or your business name is not on the deed then you don't own it, it it's just that simple you know let's let's make it really easy now in Washington State we have three types of real estate deeds. And it's important for folks to understand some of the basic differences in those. But it's the subtleties that are dangerous. And those are always going to come up under what we call a fact and circumstance analysis. But for most of you, when you purchase a home, you're going to get what we call a statutory warranty deed. And that is the highest level deed passing along the most amount of warranties of title and ownership from the seller to the buyer, where the seller is warranting various items. The second type of deed is called a bargain and sale deed, and it does not include some of the warranties. However, it does convey what we call full fee simple 
ownership. So you would do that. When might one get a bargain and sale deed? Well, if you bought a home at a foreclosure, you're going to get a sheriff's deed. That's a bargain and sale deed. You buy it from a trust or an estate, a PR's deed, you know, a personal um, representative's deed or an executor's deed, a trustee's deed. These are all bargain and sale deeds and are appropriate to use there. And then we come to the most dangerous of all deeds, the quit claim. The quit claim deed conveys no warranty. It's a, it's a quit claim deed. Oftentimes we hear quick claim deed. That's not the right phrase. Q-U-I-T. But, they, but, it's, but that's kind of what they are, ironically enough. Yeah, it, it, it's very, very strange. But the challenges of the quit claim deed and when is it appropriate to use I want to talk about that when we get back from break. We're going to uh, take a quick break and your phone calls after that at 888-973-5476. We're live. We're here. We're ready to talk to you at 888-973-5476. Your partner in law will be right back. My dad would always say the three worst words in the English language were shoulda, coulda, and woulda. So many people with retirement right around the corner or in the middle of it have the shoulda, coulda, wouldas facing them. They're not proactive. You didn't take care of the will. You didn't take care of the trust. They didn't do what was needed to do when it came to real estate and taxes. So right now, let's avoid the shoulda, coulda, wouldas and call Rick Gregorick. Rick Gregorick is my estate planner. I sat down with Rick, explained my situation. He walked me through all the different variables, whether it was a trust or a charitable trust, real estate or taxes. It is so complicated. You've got to rely on an expert like Rick, who is so kind and knowledgeable about all of it. So be proactive. Take control of your life now. You can schedule a complimentary consultation at yourpartnerinlaw.com. You can also listen to Rick's show, Your Partner in Law, every Sunday morning at 9 on Cairo and KTTH. Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregrick, my estate planner, yourpartnerinlaw.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Brian Ott from 525 Advisors and host of Long-Term Care Radio. And Brian, we have another great question from a listener. What happens if I don't use my long-term care insurance? You know, Dory, nobody likes to pay for something they don't use. In the past, if you never used your long-term care insurance, the premiums you paid were simply gone, just like homeowners or car insurance. But you know what? Things have changed. We now have new programs that will pay you back even if you don't use them for long-term care. You can find out about all the new programs, including ones that pay you back at 525longtermcare.com. While you are there, you can send us your question and even sign up for a free class. And don't forget to join us every Saturday morning on Cairo for Long-Term Care Radio. Brian has a long-term care planning class coming up Saturday, November 16th. Seating is limited, so sign up today at 525longtermcare.com. Classes are free. You'll even get a copy of Brian's book, which has a ton of great info. Go to 525longtermcare.com. Have you ever wondered what would happen to you or your loved ones or your business if you were incapacitated tomorrow or if you died prematurely? None of us plan on it, but not addressing these issues can be catastrophic to your finances, your family, and your business. Hi, this is attorney Rick Gregory, host of your partner-in-law, right here on Cairo Radio every Sunday morning at 8. Elder or estate planning is necessary for all of us, regardless of our wealth or lack of wealth. So whether your estate is large or small, you simply must have a proper legal life plan in place to protect you, your loved ones, and your business. For your free estate or elder law planning consultation, give us a call today at 425-284-3450. 
At Gregrick & Associates, my staff and I will take the time necessary to understand your needs and recommend the best plan for you and your family. Call us today at 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450 or go to yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. Now back to Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. Hey, welcome back to your partner in law. Don't get lulled to sleep by the music. We'll wake up. Hey, uh, before I uh, get started, and I want to talk about these quit claim deeds just a little bit and kind of their, you know, proper uses, improper uses, pros and cons kind of things. But I, I do want to make sure everybody remembers that we got a Hawks game coming up today. It's a biggie at 125. So 12s, get out. You know, yell out your window if you got to. This is an important game. This is, you know, against our arch rival coach, um, John Harbaugh, who used to be coach of the 49ers when we had that head-to-head heated old thing. And Pete Carroll and John Harbaugh really compete against each other. And so this is going to be an interesting game. These are two coaches that really know each other, and they compete really hard against each other. And and the Ravens are a good team this year. And the Hawks are looking good this year. And, you know, so we've got some interesting things, but um, should be a great game. Okay, back to quit claim deeds. Or deeds in general. And the quit claim deed, we kind of went over statutory and bargain and sale. Those are great. They do, do a good job. The quit claim, because it doesn't actually say you own the property you're conveying, it can be very dangerous. For instance, Scott, you could sell my property. On a quit claim deed, you say, I hereby sell and put out the address for Rick's property, blah, 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 and sign it. And you sell it to someone. Someone buys the, say, buy my house under the quit claim deed that you did. Well, that's great. You haven't committed a crime. You haven't done anything wrong because your quit claim deed basically said, if I ever have title, it's yours. I convey it to you. Yeah, I but convey, I don't have it right now. I'm, I'm going to convey to you what I have, whatever that may be. And right now I've got nothing, but if I come into possession of that in the future, it's yep. yours. And there's a statute that actually matches that as well. Yes, and it's it's it, so it can be a very dangerous deed. So rarely ever would you ever purchase a property okay. with a quit claim deed. And purchase, okay? So that's your you're at an arm's length transaction, and you're you're receiving it as a result of some sort of consideration, okay? So that's that's purchase. Let's be very clear. Right. You're There's buying lots a property. of other types of transfers where money's not exchanging hands where a quit claim deed may be appropriate. Right. The most common use of the quit claim deed is to convey marital property in a divorce to where, you know, one party's giving their mm-hmm. interest to the other one. That's probably the most common good, you know, Mm-hmm. appropriate use of the quit claim deed. And I would I would venture to guess the next two most common are transfer to your own trust or your transfer own. to your own, typically an LLC, if it's a rental type property. Right. So it's things that you own yourself and you're conveying it to some other entity that you own. A quit claim deed may be appropriate there, but not, you know, that's Mm-hmm. Never is it a carte blanche. We always want to look at the quit claim and say, you know, that's the if I'm the purchaser or the receiver of that property, the grant, the grantee, the one getting the property, um, be very cautious. You may not get what you want, and you know, so much, so many things in real estate are making sure that people understand the language 
of what is going on. So that's just your kind of your basics in deeds. And then in the estate planning arena, we come across, you know, um, both on purpose and by mistake, what we call life estates in real estate. Now, a life estate is just defined as an interest in property that lasts as long as the life of a particular person, the measuring life. So if I leave a life estate to my wife, then that life estate would be for her natural life. Oh. And when she dies, the, 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 the life estate terminates. Now, these are just kind of a side pause on life estates. Life estates are less common these days than they were years and years ago because we have trusts that people typically will utilize. Life estates can be very uh, beneficial. They can work very well. Life estates can also be a point of contention and result in a lot of litigation. So, you know, we're talking about this is an a, this is an estate planning tool, real estate transfer type of pool uh, tool. Excuse me, that you would never ever do on your own. So this is this is one to really 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 avoid because of some of the problems they can cause. It, it, it is so important because the, the issues that we're going to discuss uh, coming up. Um, are kind of frightening in a way, and and it really undermines what the intent of the party leaving the life estate was. And we always have to go back, why was the life estate created? What was its purpose? And if we can do that properly and then establish the terms and conditions of the life estate properly, you know, they can, be, they can work out. But they have some inherent issues that um, arise, especially when people just kind of do it on their own. They haven't had the benefit of, you know, legal counsel to kind of go through a lot of the um, pitfalls that we have in the life estate area. It's used in, uh, we're going to talk about its use in, you know, marriages, first and second marriages, um, talk about it um, in gifting perspectives and things along those lines. And, and we're going we're to talk about the tax implications. With and it there are some tax and valuation discounts, the intersection with uh, a qualification for government needs-based programs like correct, Medicaid and correct. things of that nature. So, folks, uh, our phone lines are open. We'd love to chat with you this morning. 888-973-5476. Your partner in law will be right back. That number again, 888-973-5476. Get right on air right now. We'll be right back. One of the biggest mistakes you can make heading into retirement is not planning for the high costs of an extended health care situation. A lot of people assume they have enough money saved only to watch everything they've worked hard for get whittled down to nothing from the ongoing costs of a long-term care situation. Do not make this mistake. By putting a long-term care plan in place, you guarantee yourself a source of funds to pay for care when needed, and you also know you won't become a burden on your family. Do what my wife and I did. Go learn about the all-new long-term care plans offered by 525 Advisors. These new plans protect your savings, protect your family, and pay you back if you never use them. Learn more by attending one of the upcoming classes taught by Brian Ott, who's host of Long-Term Care Radio right here on Cairo. Brian has a long-term care planning class coming up Saturday, November 16th. Seating is limited, so sign up today at 525longtermcare.com. It's a free class. You'll get a copy of Brian's book, too. 
525longtermcare.com. Sometimes big events in your life all of a sudden cause you to wake up and realize you should start planning for the future. I lost my dad a little over a year ago to cancer, and I remember thinking to myself, I should probably have a will or trust. So I called Rick Gregorick. Now, the reason I called Rick Gregorick is because I've been listening to him on Cairo Radio on Sunday mornings, and the guy is an absolute expert. I sat down with him. I explained my situation. He walked me through all the different variables, whether it was a trust or charitable trust, real estate, taxes. It was so complicated. I was so glad I had Rick right there to walk me through the whole process. So be proactive. Take control of your life right now. Go meet with Rick Gregorick and schedule a compliment consultation at yourpartnerinlaw.com. You can also listen to Rick's show like I do, Your Partner in Law, every Sunday morning at 9 on Cairo and KTTH. Schedule a meeting with my estate planner, Rick Gregorick, at yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. We return to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH with your host, Rick Gregorick. Hey, welcome back to Your Partner in Law. Hey, make sure you visit us on the web, yourpartnerinlaw.com. Pretty easy, huh? Yourpartnerinlaw.com. But you can find us, just Google that. You can find Rick Gregor, Gregor and Associates, mynorthwest.com. Uh, go to mynorthwest.com. You can get uh, any of our podcasts there, um, our shows. You can sign up for an auto feed. That way you never miss this stimulating talk every Sunday morning. I uh, really enjoy talking with you folks Every week and uh, passing on little pearls of, uh, you know, I don't want to call it wisdom necessarily, but knowledge and just to help you avoid some of these most common things that, you know, walk into my office day in and day out and day in and day out. And uh, right before break, we were talking a little bit about life estates and the use of a life estate in your estate planning. Now, it's a simple concept with... uh, some very difficult operational issues that can arise. But let's just go back and make sure what we understand about the life estate. The life estate is really just an interest in property where the person who is the recipient of the life estate is allowed to occupy and live in that property for the rest of their natural life. Now, there are statutes on this and things like this, but of course, most people don't pay attention to the law when they do these things, and they just write in a will or something, here I give a life estate to my wife, or to my husband, or to whomever, but usually a spouse, uh, more common than anything else. And they do so without thinking the situation through, and what ramifications might this have, and what are the issues. So when we get into the life estate, one of the most common issues, of course, is you have the life tenant. They're the person occupying the property. That's the wife. And let's say when the wife dies then and the life estate terminates, then that property will pass to what we call the remainder beneficiaries. Those are the true owners of the property during the life estate is the remainder beneficiaries. It's their asset. It's just encumbered by the life estate, which is one of the rights of owning real estate, which is the right to possession, one of the highest order rights we have. Remember the old possession 90% of the law? Well, that, there it is. This, this is this is an interest in real property as opposed to a contract. Yep, absolutely, and it's statutory in that. So issues arise then. So now the life estate is plugging along, and all of a sudden the furnace goes out. Who gets to pay for the Who furnace? Pays for it? Does the life tenant 
or the remainder beneficiary. Okay, well, there's statutes on this. Ordinary expenses generally paid by the life tenant, capital improvements generally paid by the remainder beneficiaries. But that's just what statute. I mean, it, but we could make an agreement on how else it's to be paid. So having money available to maintain the property subject to the life estate is a major, major issue because more often than not, the life estate is being left to the spouse because the spouse does not have the means to support themselves. And And, this is a problem. Well, and that's, there's a lot of problems with these. And I, you know, being the litigator, I've had to, you know, spend a little time litigating these issues as well. And a lot of issues arise. What happens when you get uh, sick? Okay. Do you have a right to return? Let's say you leave for six months. Does that terminate the life estate? I mean, it depends on how it's written. Um, who pays for the furnace? That's a good one. What happens if the individual wants to uh, live somewhere else? Okay, well, is Oh, that, the best one, though. What if is, they want to have a mate to come in? Or Yeah. I mean, so there's all these different types of issues that can arise. You know, major repairs are an issue. Um, taxes, insurance, you know, things of that nature. They, all of these things arise. These are pretty restrictive, okay? From a from a planning standpoint, a life estate is a pretty restrictive form of an estate plan. It's not one that we would recommend. We avoid them as much as we can. Of course, we do them, but we probably come up with a better way to do it in most cases, albeit it may cost a little more up front. But the salvation on the back end is well worth it because very few of these life estates run their term without issues regarding money, occupancy, illness, and things of that nature. And and folks, if, you're, if your estates are modest and there's a high possibility that you may have to rely on government-subsidized uh, care as you age, i.e. Medicaid, um, you have to be very, very careful here. Washington State, as I would imagine every other state, has um, statutes and administrative code on how to value the life estate. It has, it's an interest in real estate. It has an economic value. And that economic value oftentimes has prevented people from getting their government-based, um, needs-based um, right. program. So, folks, there's so many things here that we really say, if it involves real estate and you're conveying an interest in real estate, doesn't matter what you're doing, buying, selling, gifting, oh boy, gifting, um, all of these different issues, please seek out an estate planning attorney. And I use that term real carefully because... If you aren't going to an estate planning attorney, you're going to somebody that you said, oh, well, it's real estate. I'll ask a real estate attorney. They may not be addressing these estate planning issues dealing with real property. And so I would, I'm not putting a, the kibosh on any of my colleagues out there that do real estate. It's just that we all have different sandboxes and we look at different issues within these. And, and when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about bad transfers. And we're going to talk about the tax implications and the Medicaid disqualification. We've talked about it before but on the show many times, but we're going, to, we're going to talk about it again because it's it's so important to understand the really, really bad mistake that one can make when they do a transfer um, thinking that they're going to preserve an asset and the government's not going to get it. So there, you know, there's those issues. 
I know, Scott, one of the other issues that we deal with on a rather regular basis is the blended family. And, of course, we bring up the blended family in almost every area of estate planning on where things can get dicey. Where did they go wrong? Where are they emotional? And because of the multifamily yeah, involvement, and, I mean, it's just it's going to happen. And I had, I, you know, I can give a great example of the blended family with the life estate problem. I, I had an estate where the the second husband... Uh, second husband, second wife. Wife was the surviving uh, spouse, and the husband's will purchased a life estate in a property that the wife was to pick. But it was not real specific other than that. And so what do you think happened? Well, the kids come in, dad's kids come in, and they're arguing over, well, how much should be spent? And once it's purchased, who's going to maintain it? You know, all of these things that were unanswered in this 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 ingeniously bad estate. Plan. In other words, yeah, whatever whatever house she goes out and buys, she can have a life estate in it. But there's Correct. no no caps on how much you could spend and things like Correct. that. So obviously, the kids wanted a two hundred thousand well, dollar condo, they, and she wanted a million dollar house, and, and they wanted to control you know where it was going to be, what it was going to be. You know, right down to, you know, can't be in an association or must be in an association. You know, all of these types of disputes over the the house that was going to be purchased because this estate plan put upon – oh, and the personal representatives were, of course, the kids. Oh, yeah, conflict of interest. Yeah, there's the other – that was – yeah, that's the other kicker. And so so when you have, you know, all of this – lack of definition in these competing interests in this type of a, a, an arrangement. It's just a recipe for disaster. It really is. And then, you know, the other one that comes up very often and very, very often is in the, let's say, May-December marriages. And, you know, whether whoever's the elder doesn't really matter. But if your new spouse is about the age of your children and you die leaving a life estate to new spouse, you are going to have very unhappy children that have to wait 20, 30, 40 years yep. for that piece of the inheritance. And then we all, you, we're already you, talking you think about there's the going money. To be some pro- you think there's going to be some problems that arise over 20, 30, 40 years? Well, let's talk about the money, the maintenance, the repair. The, exactly. you know, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, those cases, they blow up constantly. Yeah. And, this, and this is why we recommend trust-based plans over life estates typically. And that's what we're going to talk about right when we get back because there always is a better way. Your partner-in-law will be right back. Retirement. What does it mean to you? Has it changed as a result of today's economy? Are you worried about your future? Could there be stormy seas ahead? Hi, this is Rick Gregrick, founder of Gregrick & Associates. We're a dedicated team of legal and tax professionals that can help you navigate your course for a secure future. Whether you're just thinking about your retirement or you're well into your retirement years, whether you're single, married, or involved in a domestic partnership, we can help you create your necessary legal and tax planning. I am so glad I found one firm that can help me with all my legal and tax needs. Call today for your free consultation. 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. You can also sign up for a partner-in-law event. Just go to yourpartnerinlaw.com and find the elder law or estate planning course that's best for you. You can register for both events by going to yourpartnerinlaw.com. Yourpartnerinlaw.com. 
Hey, it's Story Monson with Brian Ott from 525 Advisors and host of Long-Term Care Radio. And Brian, we have another great question from a listener. What happens if I don't use my long-term care insurance? You know, Dory, nobody likes to pay for something they don't use. In the past, if you never used your long-term care insurance, the premiums you paid were simply gone, just like homeowners or car insurance. But you know what? Things have changed. We now have new programs that will pay you back even if you don't use them for long-term care. You can find out about all the new programs, including ones that pay you back at 525longtermcare.com. While you are there, you can send us your question and even sign up for a free class. And don't forget to join us every Saturday morning on Cairo for Long-Term Care Radio. Brian has a long-term care planning class coming up Saturday, November 16th. Seating is limited, so sign up today at 525longtermcare.com. Classes are free. You'll even get a copy of Brian's book, which has a ton of great info. Go to 525longtermcare.com. My dad would always say the three worst words in the English language were shoulda, coulda, and woulda. So many people with retirement right around the corner or in the middle of it have the shoulda, coulda, wouldas facing them. They're not proactive. You didn't take care of the will. You didn't take care of the trust. They didn't do what was needed to do when it came to real estate and taxes. So right now, let's avoid the shoulda, coulda, wouldas and call Rick Gregorick. Rick Gregorick is my estate planner. I sat down with Rick, explained my situation. He walked me through all the different variables, whether it was a trust or a charitable trust, real estate or taxes. It is so complicated. You've got to rely on an expert like Rick, who is so kind and knowledgeable about all of it. So be proactive. Take control of your life now. You can schedule a complimentary consultation at yourpartnerinlaw.com. You can also listen to Rick's show, Your Partner in Law, every Sunday morning at 9 on Cairo and KTTH. Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick, my estate planner, yourpartnerinlaw.com. Now back to Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. All righty, Seahawks Sunday, Baltimore Ravens against the Hawks, 125. We're going to kick some Ravens, right? Okay. We are talking life estates and, you know, some of the valuation issues, Scott, and they get into the Medicaid arena and then the gifting areas and the tax basis are a couple of problems. Yeah, so we need so the mic on. So, yeah, we need the mic on. Um, so, so we get into all of these types of gifting situations. We were talking very at the very top of the show. We were talking about we get the phone call, um, and there's two different scenarios. They're contacting us because they want to do some form of a real estate conveyance, or more likely than not, they're contacting us because they've already done it. Here's here's what happens. We get the phone call, and oftentimes it's a result of one of two events. One is they have been contacted by Medicaid. During the 60-month look-back, you, know, you cannot outsmart the government, okay? They have a plan for this. They know this trick. You are not going to outsmart them. It happens all the time, and it's a fa- oftentimes it's a family decision. Mom is, you know, knows that she's, she's you know, going to be running out of money. She wants her estate and her legacy to go to her children. All her life, she has wanted her home to go to her kids, but she she knows that it, it, she's going to have to sell it unless you know she gets rid of it because she's starting to run out of money. So lo and behold, they run on down to the stationery store and they drop the quit claim deed that we talked about earlier, and the home is quit claimed to the children. 
Well, it's you know it's brilliant. She's, Remember those quit claim deeds at the top of the hour. Exactly. It's a it's a brilliant plan, right? Because because you you have outsmarted the government. You have not outsmarted the government. The government has a five year look back, and they apply a formula for the value of the gift looking back, and they disqualify the individual mom in this case for Medicaid benefits on a, a month by month basis based upon the formula for the look back. And so if you've gifted a house away, mm-hmm. more likely than not, at least three, most more likely than not, the entire 60-month, five-year yeah. transfer penalty would apply. So the issue now, Scott, is, okay, so mom transferred the asset, so now she's broke, she has no money, the kids have the house, mom needs to go in Medicaid, she needs to go into the nursing home, yep. it's medically necessary, and, and, what happens now? And so, and so, one of the things that we talked about earlier in the show is that deeds are public record. Okay, so you're not going to get away with this. There is a record of this transfer; it's recorded. You don't think the first place that Medicaid looks is the recorder's office to see what transfers have occurred in the last five years? Absolutely. So, folks, this is really dangerous. Please, if your folks are elderly and they're wanting to gift the house, it sounds wonderful. It makes them feel good. It's what they want to do. But the ramifications are bad. So, because, okay, so mom, back our scenario, mom has to go into the nursing home. She needs care, medical care. It's necessary. The state's going to go ahead and put her on Medicaid. And you go, oh, bad. We dodged that bullet. Yeah. Hey, kids, the house you got there. State's going to be knocking on your door with the summons, and they're going to be suing you to give the gift back or pay for mom's care during the penalty period. And if you don't, and if you don't, they can sue you for up to 150% of the value of the gift and attorney fees and cost, and it's going to be awful. And, And it gets even messier when the house has been sold and the money's been spent or the money's been put in your home. Okay. You received the home from mom. You decided, you know what, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to pay my mortgage off. Now you're in trouble. Yeah, so folks, I mean, I, all I can say is don't do it. Please come in and talk um, with us or another qualified estate and elder planning and, attorney to understand these things that are very simple. And, and let's, let's real quick, let's talk about that gift where the Medicaid doesn't apply. Let's say, let's say mom has lots of assets. She has plenty to take care of herself, and they convey the family home to the kids. Great idea. It's convenient. Sometimes people do this because it's just a it's an easy way to handle an estate, right? So well, they, or so they thought. It's a little bit of pre-planning. Here's the problem with that. It may or may not be a good idea. It depends on the size of the estate, number one. And number two, it depends on how much equity is in that house from the time that mom purchased the house. What I mean let, by let, equity let, is the capital. The capital. capital. The growth. The, capital the, gro- growth. the growth in value. So if, if mom bought the house in the, the 1950s, for $18,000, and in Seattle, it's now worth a million dollars, conveying that house to the kids is going to go with the basis, meaning that when you take that house and you go to sell it yourself as the child, and it's now worth a million dollars, when you sell it, you're going to have a full payment on the entirety of the capital gains from when mom bought that house in the 1950s. Yeah, folks, this is really important to understand. So an intervivos gift, one gift made during life. So any gift made right. during lifetime. And we said, you know, stocks, homes, it's anything any of value. Asset, any capital, capital asset. If I gift it to you during my lifetime, you get my cost basis. 
So when you sell or transfer that property, you will pay capital gains based on my um, capital interest in that property. If you receive that property via an inheritance, you get the property at its stepped-up value, therefore eliminating, erasing all of the capital gains accrued during the gifter's life. Yeah, and you need to do a balance because if you have an estate that's taxable, particularly in Washington with the estate tax, Washington State estate tax being at about $2.1 million, you may need to do this balancing act and try and figure out, okay, what is going to be the most tax-efficient way for me to handle my $2.1-plus-million-dollar estate? That is not something that you're going to want to do on your own. That's something you're going to want to sit down and talk with a CPA or an attorney or both, obviously, to figure out, okay, what is going to be the most tax-efficient? We're not talking about cheating on taxes here. We're talking about efficiency. Oh, we're getting back to your choices in your estate plan, folks. So in your will or trust... We would have formulas established for you to deal with this tough split that we have. I'm competing with capital gains tax on one hand and the estate tax on the other. And how do we determine at the time of our death which activity would be best? Well, you know what? Some of those decisions can be deferred until your death. In fact, we get nine months following your date of death in order to make these decisions if and when your wills or trust are properly designed and properly include um, after-death tax planning for the first to die in a married community and uh, how are these properties going to be done and then similar activities for folks that are not passing on to a spouse. That's right. These are the things that we need to do. We talked an awful lot about the life estate today and some of the inherent problems. One of the best solutions to overcome many of the vagaries and issues inherent in life estates is to better yet leave the property in trust where you can define the terms and conditions and the money and who's in charge and how it works. And you know what? When we do those, the probability of them working goes way up. And and not only that does it go way up, it also gives you more options. You know, one of the things that I talked about earlier is if you purchase house number one, is that life estate transferable? Eh, Probably not. But in a trust, you purchase that house number one and – you know, your your spouse lives in house number one for 10 years, and they're like, you know, I've had enough of Seattle. I want to live in Tucson, okay? The trust can allow for the house to sell, put the money back into the trust, buy a house in Tucson, and preserve basically the plan that you had in mind that your spouse enjoy a lifetime of uh, living in a home and enjoying, you know, the, the, the benefit of that asset during their lifetime, but yet allow that that asset upon passing of your spouse goes to, most likely in this scenario, your children. A trust accomplishes this so much better and so much more easily than a life estate Just a does. life estate. And then the other advantage, I know you want to jump in here, but one of, the other, one of the other advantages is with a trust, it's much more private. Because remember, with a life estate, a life estate is established via a deed, whereas with a trust, 
the asset is in the trust and you know from the public record how the property is titled, but you do not know the terms of how the property is going to be handled. And that that makes it a much more private transaction, whereas with a life estate, that's actually a very public transaction because the life estate is is a deed it, you know it actually a life estate actually requires a deed that's how you set up a it, life it estate. is a deed component absolutely mm-hmm. the another you know really close relative here and we don't have enough time to go into it but a close relative here is the family cabin the beach house mom and dad grandma and grandpa want to love keep, the family want to keep it in the keep it in the family yep. and pass it on down because everybody's after mom and dad are gone everybody's going to meet there and sing kumbaya around the campfire and everything's going to be great Oh, if it, if it were only true, Dorothy. Yeah, the, the, the family cabin, and, and these are a blast. I, I actually, I haven't, we haven't talked about the family cabin. Too bad we don't have much more time. But the family cabin's great because here's, here's who's paying to fix the deck. And I want to use it on Memorial Day. Well, I want to use it on Memorial Day. Okay. You broke it when you were there. I shouldn't it, have to pay for it. Who's going to pay for the pots and pans? Because we need pots and pans. Somebody needs to pay for pots and pans. I mean, these are the kinds of arguments with the family cabin. The family cabin... And, and I've seen scenarios where the family cabin involves way too many family members to possibly work. <laughs> so, folks, there are solutions to all these things, but the solutions really come with understanding that there's an issue there to begin with. So we want to make sure that we are making sure don't the most important things in life, you know, your money and your real estate. You know, when you start doing things with those and conveying real estate improperly, oh my goodness, you can create so many problems. I just, uh, I could talk another two or three hours on this matter because it's something so common that it occurs. Hey, don't forget to uh, check us out on the web at rjglegal.com. That's the law firm. The show, of course, is yourpartnerinlaw.com. We're there for you. And you can get our podcast on mynorthwest.com. Just go on the shows and uh, check it out there. Go Hawks! Thanks for listening to Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick. Event Info newsletters and Your Partner in Law podcast can all be found at yourpartnerinlaw.com. To schedule an appointment with Rick Gregorick, call 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. For more information on the show or to sign up for a free Partner in Law event, visit yourpartnerinlaw.com. Tune in next Sunday morning at 9 to Your Partner-in-Law with your host, Rick Gregorick. Simulcast on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH.